Hey, it's Matt here. This week, rather than your regularly scheduled Talking Foosball Extra episode, we're going to give you a preview of what we have going on over on our Patreon feed, the Historic Match Day Moments series. It's posted every match day. It focuses on a historical event from the Bundesliga. You'll be hearing a recent episode featuring a monumental moment in Bundesliga Derby history. You can hear more of these episodes and Help support the pod by visiting patreon.com slash talking foosball. You can unlock hours of timeless content for as little as $3 a month. Wow. Nick Viltagen and Michael Paul will be right up after the break with a look into the past. Be right back. Welcome to an all-new Match Day Moment here on Talking Foosball. This time around, we'll be focusing on one of Germany's biggest derbies, and we'll be going all the way back to the 70s. My name is Nick Wiltung, and joining me is Michael Paul, chairperson of the board of the St. Pauli Museum, and one of the authors of St. Pauli's anniversary book appearing all the way back in 2010. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you. So let's dive straight into the topic because we're talking about the first derby played between Pauli and HSV in the Bundesliga. Right. And that one took place on September 3rd, 1977. Yes. So ahead of that match, HSV defender Peter Nogli told the press, we'll win 8-0. So how did the match turn out? Uh, not quite that way, fortunately for us. St. Pauli actually won uh, 2 nothing, which at that time, of course, was a big surprise because, of course, everyone thought that Hasfa would be the winners. You know, they were, you know, first division team forever. And, you know, they were doing very well that season, actually, in uh, May that same year. So, like, a couple of months before that match, they had won the European Cup of the Cup winners. So, obviously, you know, they were the team that was expected to win. And, uh, yeah, uh, turned out a little differently. <laughs> it did indeed. Well, I mean, this HSV side, they were truly on their way to great things that that team should later on win the European Cup uh, in, in the 80s and should win a couple of Bundesliga titles and such. And, and at that at that time, also, Kevin Keegan was playing for them, you know, so, you know, really some, you know, big names there, <laughs> definitely. St. Pauli had to face. Big name in pop music, even bigger name on the football pitch back then. <laughs> but why did St. Pauli win this match? How come? <laughs> well, it was not even that they were lucky. Just, you know, Hasfa just didn't have a good day. Uh, you know, their performance was was uh, actually so poor that, you know, during the game, and you, you would not see that today, I'm pretty sure. But during the game, you know, a lot of Hasfa supporters actually switched to supporting uh, St. Pauli because, you know, that day they were the slightly better team, you know, they, they showed more fighting spirit and uh, they scored in the 30th minute uh, for the first time uh, by uh, Franz Gaba, a very, very good forward that we had at that time. And then the second goal was scored uh, shortly before the end of the game, I think in the 87th minute or something. But, you know, throughout the whole match, St. Pauli was even even a little bit better than, than Haas Fall. They just didn't have a good day. And so, you know, St. Pauli were just lucky to to meet Hasfa on a, on a bad day, I guess. And, and yeah, they took home the victory. Mm. How did the team celebrate the first ever derby win in the Bundesliga, which to that date must have been the biggest win in the club's history for sure? Uh, yeah, one of the biggest victories. Uh, anyways, you know, first victory against Hasfa in the Bundesliga. Uh, first time they were facing each other in the first Bundesliga uh, as well. And uh, it was celebrated uh, pretty modestly. <laughs> they just went back to the stadium. You know, in Germany, every stadium has a so-called Klubheim, you know, which is kind of a, 
you know, pub, you know, the club's pub uh, within the stadium. And they went there and uh, they had some bread and beer and uh, soft drinks. <laughs> and the president, I think he, he threw in a bottle of champagne and that was, that was it. You know, there was no big celebration uh, going on, you know, like, you know, no going down, down to the Raper Bond and, you know, uh, hitting, hitting the clubs and, and, and going crazy. So it was pretty modest. Well, you, you talk a, a lot about modesty here, but but can you tell me a little bit about the culture that was surrounding the club back then? Yeah. Uh, what was it like in those days? I mean, I wasn't there personally. I was born in 73, so uh, I, I was four years old when that happened. <laughs> and, you know, I obviously wasn't able to watch that on television or anything. <laughs> but I know, you know, from studying the history of the club and from talking to a lot of people, you know, who played for St. Pauli at that time, who played for St. Pauli later, you know, it wasn't the club that we know today, you know, with this kind of image that the club has today. It was a different club. It was a very, very regular and very normal club, so to say, you know, not known for anything specific. You know, at, at that time, probably the district of St. Pauli in the city of Hamburg was more famous than the club. And now, you know, it's the other way around. I mean, St. Pauli, were just a, a very average, average club in every, in every aspect. And that changed a couple of years later, which actually maybe was even a little a consequence, not of that game, but of that season, the first division. I can tell you about that a little later. But at that time, 1977, St. Pauli was, you know, was not known for its rebellious fans or for being, you know, left-wing club or anything like that. It was just a very, very normal average club. And actually, the people who led the club at that time, the board, were very cautious about, you know, not being associated, for example, with the, with the district of St. Pauli, which at that time had a very bad image, you know, the red light district of, of Hamburg. They try to set themselves apart from that, you know, and, and to display a very normal image to the outside world. Mm. So a regular German football club, but that somehow changed over the course of that season or around that time. How did that change? It changed a couple of years later. And as I said, you know, it was even a little bit of consequence of that first Bundesliga season that St. Pauli had in 1977, because to reach the first Bundesliga, they spent more money than they had. And uh, at the end of the season, they were relegated to the second division. You know, they finished last in the table. And then at the end of that second division uh, season, they were relegated to the third division, although they had reached the sixth place in the second division, but they were relegated because of financial reasons, because the club was pretty much bankrupt. They didn't, they didn't get a license to play second division anymore. So they were relegated to third division. And what happened then was that, you know, everybody withdraw from the club, like the fans didn't come anymore, the sponsors withdrew, and the club just had a very, very bad image at that time, and nobody wanted to have anything to do with it. That first uh, season in third division, uh, I think the average of you know people showing up to the games was about 1,600, something like that. You know, and you know, th think about that today. You know, the stadium is always close to being sold out or sold out. But at that time, no one wanted to have anything to do with the club, which kind of set the base for what happened a little later. Because then the district of St. Pauli kind of comes into play because at the at the beginning of the 80s, there was a lot of change going on in the district. And uh, specifically, there was one street called the Hafenstrasse, the Harbor Street, which turned into a squat uh, in the beginning of the 80s. There was a lot of empty houses, and they were just occupied by, you know, punks, people from the left-wing scene, anarchists. And they occupied those houses and turned them into squats. And they, you know, beginning of the 80s, they just got into, you know, they wanted to go to football games. <laughs> and St. Pauli was the obvious choice for them, because for one, it was, you know, just down the street, basically, just just down the road, the Raperbahn. 
And also the second team in Hamburg, which was you know, big a bigger team, which was HSV, was not an option for them at that time, you know, even though they were much more successful, because at that time HSV had a problem with, uh, you know, right-wing tendencies, you know, in their stadium, you know, right-wing fans. They don't have that anymore, uh, fortunately, but at that time they did. So, you know, obviously the left-wing people, the punks, didn't want to go there. So they went to St. Pauli, and what they found was, a, you know, basically an empty stadium. You know, which was helpful because, you know, th there was no fan base that could drive them out the stadium again. So they kind of, you know, became part of the fan base. And with this, you know, punk ideology and, you know, the, the do-it-yourself spirit, they kind of started to take things in their own hands little by little. And they were the root of the image that St. Pauli has now, you know, this whole rebelliousness. They were the ones who brought the skull and crossbones flag to the stadium for the first time, which was, you know, later printed on T-shirts and the rest is history. And now it's kind of the, the second official crest of the club. But, you know, they also had this do-to-yourself spirit. So they became members of the club and, you know, they went to the to the reunions of the members and voted for, for example, you know, for, for, for stadium regulations that prohibited, you know, chanting racist chants and stuff like that. And, you know, they helped create that image that St. Pauli has now. And then, you know, a couple of other things happened, you know, in 1986, St. Pauli went up to the second division again, 1988, back to the first division, and they stayed there for three years. So, you know, they, they were successful again, the stadium was getting fuller, but there was a new fan base and it was growing. And another thing that is often overlooked, but that helped shape the image of the club was during that very season that St. Pauli promoted to the first division, private television took over the reporting, the broadcasting of the games. And whereas before public television would basically focus on, you know, the games and the results, and you were lucky to, you know, to see three or four games or the highlights of three or four games, you know, in the, in, on the evening show on public television, private television not only showed all the games and all the goals, but they also focused on the stories on and off the pitch. And, you know, especially off the pitch, it was stories galore at St. Pauli. You know, there was, you know, the fan, the special fans, the incredible atmosphere, the old stadium, the, you know, the closeness of the red light district, all that came together. And so, you know, it, it, it became a topic on private television. And, and in a way, private television helped spread that image of St. Pauli, you know, in all of Germany. And just a lot of things came together that shaped the image of, you know, how we see St. Pauli today. Yeah, going back to the truly fascinating, going back to the 1977-78 season, you talked about fans actually switching sides during the match. Now, you wouldn't see that today, as you rightly point out, which begs the question, why is there such an antipathy between the two Hamburg sides these days that apparently wasn't there back then? Well, I think for, for one, you know, I mean, Haas and St. Pauli played, played against each other for a long time, you know, in the, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, after the war, until the Bundesliga was introduced. They, you know, it was a lot of derbies and it was always a rivalry. But then, you know, both clubs hadn't seen each other for a long time. So I guess, you know, the, the rivalry was not as strong. And, you know, I think nowadays, it, like then in the 80s, there was, you know, there came this ideological part, you know, that, you know, the, the St. Pauli fans were considered left-wing And, you know, some, not all, but some of the HSV supporters were considered right-wing. And obviously that led to tensions and frictions and that, you know, fights surrounding the games. That's kind of where the rivalry became stronger again, you know, and it was, it was almost a little political. And kind of to this day, this intensity is still there, even though, like I said, you know, HSV doesn't have that problem anymore. 
And, you know, the club itself is doing a lot, you know, to fight racism and homophobia and all that, very much like St. Pauli does. But the rivalry is still there. And I think it, you know, stems a lot still from this time. And of course, you know, football is just, you know, it, it's more of an event. It's more of a media event. The media keeps pushing the issue. You know, the, when there's a derby coming up, it's much more of an issue than, than I think it, it was in the 70s. You know, also pretty pretty natural that, you know, if there's two clubs in the city, there's always this, this special kind of tension. And I would say, you know, it's more in a positive way. I think there's very few cities in the world where there's two big teams who face each other, where there's not such a big rivalry. You know, not, not, a, not, not a lot of cities uh, spring to mind. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, yes, if you have inner city rivalries, those tend to be fierce, to say the least. Anyways, since we got stuck into the 77-78 season, Sao Paulo actually got off to a decent start after six match days, winning against their bigger brothers or their biggest rivals, inner city rivals. Um, so how did the rest of the season pan out for them? I mean, you already mentioned they got relegated, but why did they get relegated? I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, the squad was incredibly small. If you know, if, if you look at it nowadays, you would say it's crazy because they just had a team, a squad of uh, 17 or 18 players. You know, whereas today you would obviously start a season with a lot more players. You know, a lot, a lot more substitutes. So back then they only had 17 or 18 players, and then some of the very important players got injured. Uh, you know, people like the the legendary Walter Frosch, who was a legendary defender. He was injured, then, you know, very important midfielder uh, got injured. And so, you know, they, they didn't have a big team and, you know, they just didn't have the substitutes to substitute these really important and good players. And also what they did in that season, which would be completely unthinkable today, is that uh, because they were hoping for more money, they only played very few games at home at the Milanto Stadium but actually played the majority of the home games at the Haas Faust Stadium, <laughs> you know, because it was a bigger stadium and, you know, they were hoping for, for more people to come, which, which didn't turn out to be true. But obviously, you know, the, the atmosphere in the stadium, you know, if you have a big stadium and only a few people come and obviously the, the atmosphere is not as good. And St. Pauli actually performed much better in the home games played at Millantour than at the ones at Volkspark. Uh, you know, for example, the match right after the Derby was against Borussia Dortmund at the Haas Faust Stadium, only 9,000 people came and they lost by three to the six or something. So I think that, that also played a role, you know, just playing the games at the Haas Faust Stadium instead of playing them at home where, you know, where the, where the atmosphere was better, you know, people were closer to the pitch and, and it was just, you know, uh, a better atmosphere. And actually, like I said, I, I think, I think St. Pauli didn't lose a single one of the games that they played at the Milanto Stadium, but they almost lost all the games that they played at uh, the Haas Faust Stadium. So that was also obviously a bad decision taken by the board that played into that. I mean, if you look at the the stats some probably have at the Volkspark over the last couple of years, these days would be a terrific decision because some probably <laughs> tend to win there for some reason. True. But anyways, uh, you, you mentioned that the club was in considerable financial troubles. Yeah. How did they get into those troubles? I mean, they, after all, they were pro to the Bundesliga. That must have been a money pit. Yeah, at that time, not really, because... The main source of income at that time was, you know, uh, what people paid for tickets because at that, you know, TV money was not a big issue at that time, you know, nowhere close to what it is today. And, you know, also advertisement was not such a big issue. By far the biggest source of income for clubs was, you know, the ticket sales. And, you know, if those, if those don't go well, then you have a problem. And, and St. Pauli, you know, just the, the board at that time was committed to have the club promoted to first division. And they, you know, they, they, they took a lot of money in their hands. 
and uh, more than they actually had. And, you know, they bought a couple of good players and it worked. They went up to first division, but then, you know, the problem started when they went back down to second. And, you know, it, it turned out that, you know, they didn't have, you know, first division didn't generate as much income, you know, as they thought it would. You know, they didn't sell as many tickets and all that. That became a problem when they were relegated to second division. And, you know, like I said, pretty much at the end of that, that season already at that second division season, you know, they got relegated for financial reasons. So it was, it was a very quick process. And uh, yeah, I guess the board just made some bad financial decisions and they were hoping for income that, you know, didn't materialize. So that was the biggest problem at that time. Well, interesting. Michael, absolutely fascinating to hear about this match, which is a classic moment in Bundesliga history. And how it shaped the club because I didn't know that it had such a big impact on, you know, or that this season had such a big impact of yielding such long-term consequences in the end for the club. So really, truly fascinating to listen to that. Well, Michael, uh, before I let you go, can you tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you on social media if you're represented on any social media outlets? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really on many social media. I, like I said, we, we have a book out, but it's only German. And it's not available anymore, at least not the, the official anniversary book. Um, it's not available anymore. It's sold out. And uh, it's not being reprinted at this moment. Uh, there's another little book called Alles drin, but also only German. Uh, you can find that online if you want. But I mean, please go to the uh, website of the FC St. Pauli Museum. Connect with the FC uh, St. Pauli Museum online on Instagram, for example, on Facebook, whatever platform you use. And follow them because there's great stories, great content from the entire history of the club. Very funny content too. So if you want to follow that, uh, that'd be my advice because uh, there's some good stories there. Yeah, I mean, I think St. Pauli has actually had the first professional black player in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> and additionally, uh, there's the story about how Meat actually made St. Pauli into the best team of the late 40s. Yes. Absolutely <laughs> terrific stuff. So St. Pauli has truly loads of interesting stories to tell so yes do that definitely very very bizarre stuff too but you know i i guess a lot of clubs have that but there's uh there's bizarre stories galore with uh, st Pauli <laughs> for sure all right that was a preview of our historic match day moments series from our patreon feed where we actually have hours and hours of timeless Bundesliga content we'll be adding to throughout the forthcoming season. You can listen to more episodes of Historic Match Day Moments at patreon.com slash talkingfoosball starting at three bucks a month. There's another episode being posted prior to this weekend's match day over there and on through the rest of the season. We'll be back with Talking Foosball Direct after the last games of the weekend. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.